Chris, welcome to episode 207 of X-Lapsed, where, uh, well, uh, if you're following these shows in real time, uh, first of all, thank you very much for doing that. Uh, it really means a lot. Uh, second, you'll know that this was quite the roller coaster of a week here. Um, we had uh, three books this week that stood out particularly as being on, you know, either pole of a uh, my personal quality rankings here. Of course, this is all opinion-based, so don't take anything I say as gospel or uh, stone-cold fact or anything, but we covered two books this week that I would place at the very bottom of our X-Lapsed coverage, uh, Curse of the Man-Thing and X-Corp. I'm not sure we've read anything worse than either of those issues uh, in this entire you know, 207-episode run, and that includes... All the uh, Sunday special series, uh, I mean, including Major X. Uh, so this has uh, been a weird week. And now we end it with Way of X number two, which, whew, boy, um, this is a wonderful book, uh, a, an absolute delight. It's a book that, it's one of those good news, bad news situations, right? I mean, it, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Not to put the cart completely before the horse, but... I almost don't think I have, like, adequate verbiage, adequate vernacular to talk about how good this book is. I don't think that I <laughs> measure up to this book, so it's quite intimidating to uh, come up against such a damn good book. Um, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Way of X number two. July 2021 cover date. The story's called Let Us Pray, and it's pray, P-R-E-Y, like, a, you know, Eating, you know, uh, praying on an animal or something, or praying on whatever, I suppose. Written by Cy Spurrier, art Bob Quinn, colors Javert Tartaglia, letters VCs Clayton Cowles, designs Tom Muller, head of X is Hickman. Edits, let's see if I can get her name right this time, Andrews Belisteros, Thomas White Sabolski. Cover price, four bucks. Went on sale May 19 of 2021. Now, we pick up pretty much right where we left off last issue. Legion has approached Kurt, who is at Blindfold's gravesite, paying his respects and asking himself some very difficult questions. Now, Kurt refers to him as Legion, which is something that David Haller takes a bit of offense to. Now, I want to say, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, it's been a long time, but the concept that David doesn't like being referred to as Legion, I think that was something that Spurrier himself played with during his, uh, his X-Men Legacy run, which at that point was basically a Legion solo book, you know. It was just called X-Men Legacy because they probably figured that would sell a little bit better than a book called Legion. Kurt also mentions the Patchwork Man, hmm, suggesting that Legion might just be 
the Patchwork Man, which stands to reason considering Legion's power set, right? Now, David sneers at this notion, and he is doubly annoyed that his father, Professor X, believes that he and the Patchwork Man are one in the same. Now, if you remember, last issue, Xavier did ask Kurt to help suss out the Patchwork Man, who had been uh, haunting the dreams of Krakoans and the Professor in, in particular. He then forcibly enters into Kurt's mindscape. Now, what he sees here is not at all what he expected, but perhaps what we might have expected. It's, uh, you know, pirate ships, swashbuckling sorts of stuff. Uh, the kind of stuff that we seasoned X-Fans always claim to love about Nightcrawler, while at the same time we're, I don't know, we really can't point to very many stories where he actually does any swashbuckling. I don't know. Anyway, there are a bunch of different Kurtz here uh, showing different aspects of his life, and only one of them looks in any way pious, kneeled, and praying. It's worth noting that there's a Nightcrawler here wearing his Hellfire Gala ensemble because we must never forget that the Hellfire Gala is coming. <clears throat> anyway, David then reaches into Kurt's head and pulls out this weird coin. Now, this is a sign that someone's, quote, been playing silly buggers in Kurt's subconscious. Silly buggers. I, I wonder if that's a, a way that you would uh, order a cheese toasty. I, I, I don't know. Now, Kurt really wants to know what's behind this, who is behind this, what's going on with this thing in his head. And David's all, tut-tut-tut, favor for a favor. Basically, you do something for me, and I'll help you get to the bottom of this. He then leaves some coordinates in Kurt's mind for where to meet him later on, and suggests that uh, this won't just be a one-man gig here. He's going to need some brains to help with this caper, so he better do a little bit of recruiting. Next up, a double-page spread of Roll Call and Cred. Nightcrawler, Legion, Fabian Cortez, Dr. Nemesis, Pixie, and Lost. Remember Lost, right? Back to comics, and we're at the Green Lagoon, where Fabian Cortez is enjoying a glass of wine while wallowing about his termination from S.W.O.R.D. Now, he's also watching Dazzler perform, which, I mean, is she ever not performing? Is she like one of those musicians that get their own dedicated theater in Las Vegas or something, like where they're just always on stage? I don't know. Anyway, Fabes is approached by... Oh, ooh, oh I shouldn't have just eaten that. Oh, oh, Dr. Nemesis. Damn it, I like you, man, but dude, put the hat back on, please. Oh, Jesus. Um, uh, Nemesis... Oh, hold on. Okay, Nemesis apparently doesn't care for Dazzler's music, which... Well, hey, there's another reason to like him. Worth noting, Dazzler thanks the fans and reminds them that... The Hellfire Gala is happening tonight. Hey, y'all. Um, anyone know if there's a big crossover happening sometime soon? Uh, they almost never talk about what's to come in these books, right? I wonder. Hmm. Now, Cortez explains his situation to Nemesis here. He says he was fired and he was humiliated when he was canned by S.W.O.R.D. Which, hey, dude's not lying. Over in S.W.O.R.D. number 5, which we covered in episode 194 of this show... He was forced to plead a case to the Quiet Council completely nude. And then he was replaced with an Iraqi who we'd never met before. Nemesis informs him that, in no uncertain terms, that he simply doesn't care about any of that. He then realizes that he's talking to Fabian Cortez, who he and many of us only remember as being that weirdo Magneto fanatic from the Jim Lee era. Cortez kind of hems and haws, where... Maybe he should have said something like, well, if you thought I was bad, you should have met Exodus. Now, that dude's weird. Uh, Nemesis also mentions that Cortez is responsible for murdering a whole bunch of people. To which Cortez corrects him, stating he didn't kill people. 
just humans. Which, it's a good line, right? It's a pretty decent line for Cortez. It fits with his uh, character. It just doesn't really fit with his history. Because let's not forget about his time with the upstarts, right? Um, He kind of killed mutants for points, right? Anyway, Nightcrawler pops over and asks if Nemesis has any experience dealing with Legion. To which he has. He is, after all, Cy Spurrier's other pet character. And, and I don't mean that in any sort of derisive or negative way. Now, uh, this Legion study of Dr. Nemesis's would lead to the Age of X, if I'm remembering right. Uh, so perhaps not Doc Nemesis's best outing. Now, elsewhere at the Lagoon, Loa and Pixie, whose hair is wildly voluminous here, uh, they're talking about... What else? The Hellfire Gala. You know, imagine if the X-Books paid more attention to the now rather than what's to come. And I mean, that's a, that's a really harsh thing to say about Way of X, which is a just a fabulous book. But I mean, the other books don't quite have the, uh, the pedigree of a Way of X, at least to me. Anyway, Loa has the hot pants for Mercury, but feels weird asking her to the gala and suggests that Pixie ask for her to somehow make it less awkward. And I thought that Loa and Mercury were already an item. Maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, it's all moot, as Nightcrawler drafts Megan into his new caper. He then passes by our new friend, Lost. Now, Kurt wants to stop and chat, but he's mentally summoned by Legion that he's running out of time. Lost then walks through the lagoon, causing everybody there to throw up. So we see Forge, Fabian, Dazzler, even Dupe, and uh, plenty of randos losing their lunches. And I tell you what, I'm glad that I'm not doing this as a blog post, as so many of my uh, blog posts only get views when certain fetishists find and share them on Reddit. I'm I'm not here to shame, but uh, facts is facts. Nightcrawler then bamfs with Nemesis and Pixie all the way to Saudi Arabia. Of course, these are the coordinates that Legion plopped in his head. Now, they stood before the remains of an Orcus facility, and I think this book is the only one where I see Orcus and I'm like, hey, that could work, (laughs) rather than, oh, no, not Orcus. Inside, our heroes happen across an astral projection of David Haller. Now, Dr. Nemesis mocks his put-on Scottish accent, and that's a reference to some of uh, Legion's earliest appearances. Now, David is surprised by who Kurt decided to bring with him, but considers it to be a pretty smart play. Now, Pixie rushes over to give her condolences for Ruth's passing to Legion, but Legion does not want to talk about her right now. He then leads our trio over to a brain. Hmm, hooked up to a machine. Now, this is David's own brain, which Orcus somehow got their hands on. Now, Legion states that this is all that remains of his physical form. Now, Kurt decides to uh, begin to direct traffic. You know, he asks Nemesis to remain outside and monitor the situation while he and Pixie go inside. And just like that, Kurt and Megan are inside David's mind, and as you might imagine, it's a pretty chaotic place. Now, I'm guessing the characters that we see beating the hell out of one another are representations of David's multiple personalities. We're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go. Info page. It's a partially redacted Orcus Protocol internal memo. Now, Orcus has David's brain, right? How'd they get it? Well, they received it from Legacy House. Now, of course, that's the lo- the auction house from recent issues of Wolverine. So it's like, hey, you know, Way of X seems to be like the only X book that's trying to weave all the other books together. <laughs> I really, really like it. Now, they've expelled the main David Haller personality. 
uh, Orcus, of course. They're using the remaining personalities as sort of a... Krakoa simulator? Or maybe just a society simulator, I suppose. Doesn't have to be Krakoa. Uh, this way, they can try to impose different variables which might lead to a societal collapse. Which then might give them an idea of how to cause a real collapse for a real society, perhaps the Society of Krakoa. Very, very interesting stuff. Now back to comics, where David mentions that one of the only things he can remember is something that Ruth, blindfold, had whispered to him, which may or may not have actually happened. David isn't even quite sure himself. Now the whispered message is just one word. The word is inevitable. He's not entirely sure what, is, what she meant by that. Is Legion himself inevitable? Is the fall of Krakoa inevitable? Both? Neither? Who knows? Now, Dr. Nemesis, he interjects with another word here, anime, which is, of course, Japanese cartoon. No, no, it's, a, it's actually a sociological term, which refers to a society without standards or values. Now, a breakdown of social bonds between the individual and the community. So, damn it, Spurrier's done it again, hasn't he? Last time out, we discussed the Dunbar number, and now anime. This is quite excellent. And it's as close to perfect as we're going to get as it pertains to, like, actually verbalizing some of the intrinsic problems with Krakoan life in the fragility of it, right? Now, this is where Kurt and Pixie realize that Orcus is using David's brain to come up with ways to take down Krakoa. You see, there's an element of Orcus implanted here in this mindscape, and it kind of kind of looks like that little Nimrod from X to the Third Power, year 1000, back in Hoxpox. Now, it keeps repeating a simple phrase, me before we, as a way to, perhaps, break up a collective and make people, or remind people, about the individual. And, I mean, we've talked a lot about societal norms, right? Especially as it pertains to Way of X, things like the Crucible, stuff like that. Now, the Dunbar number is kind of predicated in this. As mentioned, weird rituals like the Crucible, they are things that, for better or for worse, they unite Krakoa. They become cultural, right? They become customs that unify, that even the most polar opposite citizens of Krakoa, they have this one thing in common, right? Now, this foreign Orcus element is trying to be a monkey wrench. And from the looks of it, it's working, right? Because Legion's various personalities are just beating the holy hell out of one another here. It's breaking up the hive mind. It's breaking down traditions and customs. You know, and traditions and customs, they don't have to be things that are hundreds of years old. They could be brand new things. You can decide on a new tradition in your home right now, right? It's just uh, this reminder that there is an individual. It's, it's very, very powerful stuff here because... One of the things we've been talking about since we started this little project is, like, hive minds, right? The phalanx, they're all a hive mind, right? Um, we talked about that during the, the Powers of X stuff. Here we have uh, the mutants cheering on murder, you know? It's hive mind-ish. It's very, uh, there aren't very many dissenting voices, right? Now, how can our heroes stop this? Well, I mean, we don't know how they can stop it on the... On the macro, right, as in in the real world on Krakoa, but in the micro, they can at least, you know, soothe David's mind here. Dr. Nemesis suggests that they utilize the science of homicide. Now, 
<laughs> Dude, I love you. Now, uh, go put your hat on so I can bear to look at you. Because uh, Nemesis' scenes would be so much better if he was just wearing his damn hat. Uh, Nightcrawler then takes Nemesis's pistol, right? A very powerful scene here. He aims it at David's brain, knowing what he has to do. David's brain is the only thing that remains, and as long as it's alive, David cannot have a resurrection because he is technically still alive. And David's brain is being used by Orcus as a setting for a controlled experiment. So we got to figure this out. So Nightcrawler aims the pistol at David's brain, and then he goes to say a prayer. And uh, this is powerful stuff. He says, forgive me, Father, for I have... You know what? Never mind. And then he shoots the brain. Powerful, powerful scene. Um, Seeing Nightcrawler in such a position, I don't think I've ever seen Nightcrawler kill. I don't think I've ever seen Nightcrawler hold a gun. Um, This is really, really good. Um, Now, this is why David brought Kurt here, right? This is the favor for a favor. Kill what remains so that he could be resurrected on Krakoa. But, I mean, to put Nightcrawler in such a position to do this, I, I love it. I love this because it's such a conflict, and it's like giving flesh to internal strife. That we we know that Nightcrawler has this weird dissonance inside right now. He has his faith, right? He has what he believes to be true in his heart and his soul. But this is a new world, right? Let's continue along here. I also love that Pixie is here. Because this provides such a stark and wonderful contrast in deaths between her voluntary death last issue and Legion's voluntary death here. They're the same but different. Pixie basically ran in front of a uh, speeding truck last issue. She ran right in front of a machine gun and, and got blown to bits. And here Legion... Well, I mean, it's, it's a voluntary death for sure. He begged for it. But it's still different, right? This was as close to a crucible event that didn't happen in the crucible. This was like a mercy killing. This was a way to make Legion whole again, which is kind of the whole thing for the crucible, right? And the fact that Kurt had to do it, Kurt, one of the kindly ones, right? He had to do this. It puts him in such a strange position, and it's, it's phenomenal. It's really, really good. Let's go to the info page that follows this. It's an excerpt from The Book of Redacted. Now, Nightcrawler talks about having to kill David, and he sees this as the first step in creating the way. He also mentions that this was both an ugly act, but, and this is important, an act that broke his, quote, thoughtless conditioning. Hmm. Now, I'm not sure if he's starting to second-guess his own, you know, Catholicism or Christianity, I don't know if he's considering that as conditioning. Uh, And if that is the case, I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. We'll have to, uh, you know, I mean, Spurrier has bought a lot of goodwill with these two issues so far, so I'm I'm on board. I'm willing to see how he handles this, and I have uh, have faith that he will, uh, and I mean, that's no pun intended, but I have faith that he will, uh, that he'll treat it with tact. Now, let's get back to comics here, and we are already at Legion's Resurrection, and this is very likely the same day. I mean, it is the same day, because Dazzler had mentioned that the gala was going to occur that night, and the gala definitely hasn't happened yet. 
Now, this resurrection is being treated as something very, very important. After all, Legion is Charles Xavier's son. Um, he's also an Omega-level mutant. And, well, um, hmm, he's also got precognitive abilities. So there's that. This is a big deal. Here's the thing. And this is friggin' awesome. Legion is hatched from his gold ball, right? And Xavier's there, and he refuses to use Cerebro to download David's consciousness into this new body. Not until he's sure it's 100% safe. Safe from what? Hmm, is that a reference to the precognition? Maybe. Doesn't matter, though, because David doesn't wait for Daddy. He just downloads his consciousness himself. Damn, I love this book. David then mocks Xavier's silly Cerebro helmet. Damn, I love this book. Um, Now, Xavier tries to explain away his hesitation by blaming it on the fact that the Hellfire Gala is coming up. Oh, is it? I didn't know. Now, David responds flippantly, suggesting that Chuck can always find something more important than his own son. I say it again. Damn, I love this book. Um... David then decides he's going to continue using the name Legion here. This is a callback to a conversation that he and Kurt had earlier in the issue where Legion saw the name Legion as derisive, you know? And then uh, Kurt says, they call me Nightcrawler because Nightcrawlers are disgusting blue worms. So, you, you know, you, you take what you can. You make things your own. You know, you take, you take the pain out of things. And so Legion, finally feeling somewhat comfortable, I suppose... He's, uh, he's okay being Legion again. Now, Magneto welcomes him back, and he invites him to participate in Krakoan society. David flat out refuses. He says, I don't trust you, Magneto. Xavier then goes, hey, wait just a minute. To which David tells him that he doesn't trust him either. <laughs> I mean, I could just cry here. Uh, this is basically everything we've been theorizing and mulling over over the course of the past 200 plus episodes. And here it is, being given... Beautiful four-color flesh. It's, oh man, it's it's amazing. Legion then points to Nightcrawler and says that he is someone he trusts. Kurt doesn't know all the answers. What's more, he, he knows he doesn't know all the answers. Legion suggests that there are secrets here on Krakoa. And uh, that Kurt seems to be the only one who can see that. I really think I'm going to cry here. <laughs> now he tells Xavier to go ahead and build his empire. Because he and Nightcrawler... They don't care about that. They're after the hearts and minds of Krakoa. We then head to our wrap-up, and this is powerful as well. David and Kurt head to that cliff that Nightcrawler hangs out at sometimes. And uh, you remember the Patchwork Man? Let's talk a little bit about the Patchwork Man. David's not the Patchwork Man, but he knows who the Patchwork Man is. And this is part of the reason why he doesn't trust Magneto nor Xavier. You see, the Patchwork Man is Onslaught. And that's where we leave it. Next episode, Wolverine vs. Vampires, take 100. But now let's try and talk about Way of X number two here. This is a toughie, because um, I've talked about the way I uh, set up my scripts before, right? Uh, You know, I'll do a synopsis, then I'll do my little talking time segment, right? Where it's just like, hey, let's collect our thoughts, talk about main takeaways, stuff like that. And well, with this one... I got to the talking time bit, I wrote a bunch of stuff, and then I realized that I was basically repeating everything I was saying in the synopsis, so I got rid of it. And then I wrote some more stuff, and it was the same thing, (laughs) over and over and over again. It became blabbering, 
Um, and just like when when there's a book that I hate and I and I don't want to just repeat how much I don't like it over and over and over again because it's it's tiresome. It's beating a dead horse. Here we have a book that I absolutely love. It's somehow it somehow trumped the first issue of this series. Way of X number one, I think, was as close to perfect as we were going to get of a as an of an X book in current year. Way of X number two is somehow better. I, I didn't think it was possible, but there's just so much to love here. There really, really is. It's books like this that remind me why I love the X-Men. It reminds me why I'm spending dozens of hours a week, you know, analyzing, writing, and performing shows about the X-Men. It's books like this that make it worthwhile. It's books like this that make it a pleasure and make it a joy and make it something that I look forward to. This is phenomenal. If you're not reading Way of X, please, please do so. Give it a try, um, because this is what this is what we've been building to for almost two years now. To me, it's not about the far-flung space stuff. It's not about fancy clothes that Jumbo Carnation makes. It's not about swords. It's not about vampires. It's not about Otherworld. It's not about Madripoor. It's this. This is what we've been building to, and this is a book that's so good, I, I suggest that we don't deserve it. <laughs> you know, it's just... Really, really good. Um, now, since I was giving my thoughts throughout the issue here as it pertains to thing like, things like Kurt's faith, uh, the position Kurt's been put in, uh, the nature of voluntary death, we talked a lot about that during during the conversation, during the synopsis. Uh, we talked about the sociological elements here, uh, the Dunbar number and uh, anime. Awesome stuff. Um, it's stuff that actually fits into the story. It, it kind of shirks pretentiousness. You know, it doesn't quite veer into just a, hey, Cy Spurrier's smart, and now he's going to tell you how smart he is. I, I often make jokes like that when we talk about an issue of X-Force, where it's like clear, to me anyway, that Ben Percy learned something that week that he wrote this, and then he's like, huh, how can I shoehorn this into the comic? And then he does, and it's very, very awkward. And we'll get like a page of them talking about like some sort of a uh, Norse gods or something, or Valkyries, and it's like, where, where the hell did this come from? <laughs> Why is this getting a couple of pages in an issue of X-Force? Then you think, ah, Percy probably just read this somewhere and he wanted to share it. Here, Spurrier is actually giving us stuff that matters. Stuff that takes a look at Krakoan society for exactly what it is, a society. And for a, an entire line that's been building up this aspect of mutant life... As a society, as a community, as a people, as a nation, this is the first time that we're actually seeing it studied in such a way and analyzed in such a way where, you know, it's easy to say, we're going to build a nation, we're going to build a community, we're going to build a society, and in fact, the X-Men have done it many, many times. We had Utopia, we had Genosha, we've had different areas where mutants just congregated. Central Park, San Francisco, they were making their own place. X-Men Red, trying to get a seat on the UN. Trying to make a society, trying to foment this idea that if all mutants are able to come together, everything's going to be fine. And we haven't had any pushback on that because, I guess, A, it's a pipe dream, right? B, it stands to reason on paper that if you can pull everyone together 
and get rid of hate and get rid of things like uh, just differences in general, get everybody on the same page, then it'll be for the betterment of everybody. This is the first book that kind of throws the wrench in that. This is the first book that says societies are multifaceted. It's not just about a government. It's not just about a people. It's not just about customs and traditions. It's about the individual. And what's more, it's backing up its claims with actual social science and psychology. And it's delivering this information in a way that doesn't talk down to you. It doesn't make you feel stupid. It makes you feel like you're learning while not being unlearned. You know, if that makes any sense at all here. Sometimes you'll be talked down to. It's like, hey, we're going to sit you down and we're going to talk at you. This actually introduces these topics here, makes you comfortable with these topics, and lets you apply them to Krakoan society and societies in general. It gives you food for thought that transcends the X-Men and comics and entertainment. This is real-world stuff here. And, I mean, I, I really just can't say enough good things about it. This is just wonderful. Again, my only complaint about this book Put a hat on Dr. Nemesis, please. Please put a hat on that guy. I love the guy. I think he's fantastic. I think he's a wonderful fit. I couldn't imagine anybody but Cy Spurrier writing him. But for God's sake, man, put a hat on. Please, please, please. Let's talk a little bit about Onslaught. This is an excellent way to give us a swerve as to what the Patchwork Man is here. You see Patchwork Man, the last page of last issue has Legion on it, and you think... Bada-bing, bada-boom. Done, right? Patchwork Man in the beginning, closing with Legion. Okay, Legion's gotta be the Patchwork Man. And as obvious as that was, I wasn't even mad at it because it made sense, right? It works. Legion is very much a Patchwork Man. He's got skaty 800 personalities, each with their own power. Stands to reason that he would be referred to as a Patchwork Man. And the fact that he is kind of nuts, yeah, I could see him haunting dreams, right? Why not? But here, the swerve. The patchwork man is Onslaught. Literally a patchwork between Magneto and Xavier. Now, if folks don't know, and I'm sure if you're listening to this show, you know what Onslaught is. But uh, in X-Men Volume 225, Xavier had uh, mind-wiped Magneto, kind of gave him a psychic lobotomy after he had yanked the adamantium out of Wolverine and had done plenty of awful things. And this act created Onslaught. A mixture of Xavier and Magneto. Of course, that led to the whole Heroes Reborn thing, and uh, I mean, there was, there's a lot to talk about with Onslaught, but we won't, because I'm sure as we go through this series, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about Onslaught as we go. Now, what I really love about this is the fact that we didn't get some cryptic article on Bleeding Cool about the new event, Onslaught. We're bringing Onslaught back. We have Inferno. We're going to do Onslaught, too. No, this looks like it's just going to be something that uh, that Legion and Kurt are going to deal with, at least at first, and hopefully hopefully this doesn't turn into whatever is going to be after Inferno. But, I mean, these are the X-Books, and of course we need events. At least for now, it's sticking to this book as far as we know, and I love it for it. Uh, the art here continues to impress. Uh, Bob Quinn's putting out some really, really good work. I mean... I have no complaints about this, except for my, you know, silly one about uh, the mushrooms on Dr. Nemesis's head. Um, again, if you're not reading this, do yourself a favor. Give this a look. Um, this book deserves every purchase it can get. I do fear that it's probably being slept on by a lot of folks uh, as being maybe inessential to the uh, overarching Krakoan story. And uh, 
unfortunately, my voice only goes so far. I feel like uh, less and less people <laughs> listen to this show with every single episode. So my voice ain't quite as loud as it used to be. So I'm going to have to count on everyone out there to uh, tout this book and tell people to, uh, to give it a try. Because it is some very, very special stuff. I think that's all I got to say about this wonderful issue that you all should read. But before we cut out of here, let's hop into the mailbag. We're going to start with Damien talking about Cable number 8. He says, I'm back to time traveling through your old episodes as I catch up on Marvel Unlimited. I've had quite a hectic time of it recently, so I'm behind even in terms of Marvel Unlimited. Well, that's a good thing about this show and Marvel Unlimited is that uh, the books aren't going anywhere. And the shows aren't going anywhere, so... Whenever you can, uh, your, your thoughts are always appreciated and uh, looked forward to, so any time is fine. Damien continues, I don't know if I'm just having a bit of a stupid day, but I really did not notice that the kidnapper was meant to be another cable until way after it was revealed. In fact, I had to turn back a few pages to reread the relevant bit again. You're definitely right to call out the fact that the middle-aged clones don't look remotely like cable. It should have been guessable. And that's true. That is something that uh, I felt I felt pretty uh, pretty silly myself there because I think we were supposed to know it. Um, and I mean, as much as we love Phil Noto's work, it wasn't clear in this issue. It was just very very odd that uh, I don't know. Nobody recognized it. We didn't recognize it. The characters in the book didn't seem to recognize it. And and that, then again, they shouldn't have because it, they really didn't uh, it didn't really pass for a uh, middle aged cable. It just looked like. Some dude. Don't know. And, I mean, we've heard about the Order of X for a little while now, so, I mean, we didn't know that these were strifes or cables or whatever they are. It's just weird. Damien continues. There was some interesting stuff in your discussion of clone resurrection. I do wonder if we're meant to see Domino's change, in, change of attitude to killing being because they're clones of Cable and therefore mutants rather than human. Ultimately, Krakoans are allowed to kill anyone who could be resurrected. The exception for the Cuckoos does imply that an exception could be made for Scout. They're not on the Quiet Council, but I'm sure having two Wolverines, Logan and Laura, in your corner would help. It feels more and more like a refusal to, ref to resurrect Madeline is personal, and the clone thing is just an excuse, a bit like how the no-humans rule only comes into play for Juggernaut. And yeah, I, I do wonder... Um, we know that there are certain rules here, some written, some non-written, right? Um... I think when I think about the clones, it's more about the uh, the no duplicates. That's what I kind of that's what I kind of think about because uh, we know that the cuckoos are an exception to the no duplicates since they are uh, clones in a way of uh, of Emma Frost. Where I don't know if like we talk about Scout over in New Mutants, where it's the Scout story in New Mutants is just wonderful. But it's like if Scout dies, do they just consider that a problem solved? You know, do they or do they do they actually honor the resurrection protocols for Logan and Laura? Do they make an exception to their no dupe rule? So to bring that back to Domino, is she, you know, killing these cables willy nilly because she knows they could be resurrected or because she's solving a problem? I don't know. And I mean, I don't know if it was this issue or the next issue of Cable, or even if there was a next issue of Cable at this point, I don't remember. But in an info page, I believe, uh, we learned a little bit more about duplicates in as far as what's allowed and what's not allowed, and they they expand upon what isn't allowed, right? They even talk about, like, time travelers. So if old man Cable comes back and young man Cable is there, then what happens if one of them dies? 
it's, you know, I, I think uh, we're going to get some more of these answers as we go. Uh, Damien continues. Ultimately, I find myself wondering why Cable and Domino automatically viewed their foes as clones of Cable. Surely they could be clones of Strife. Can they tell the difference? Also, why have the clones got symptoms of the techno-organic virus? Are their metal parts T.O.? We all keep wondering how Warlock will relate to Mora's plans, but what about Cable? You know, that's interesting. I didn't even think about uh, these clones having the, uh, you know, the techno-organic parts. And uh, if that is the case, how did they, how did they do that? Right? Uh, that's, hmm, that's interesting. Uh, Damien continues. Overall, though, I really enjoyed this issue. I was delighted to see Domino being fun again, but I am now craving chicken gyoza with sweet chili sauce. And by the way, Domino didn't share perspective-destroying huge baths with Cable back in the day. That was actually copycat slash Vanessa. Domino was chained up in a European castle throughout that period, and I feel like I need to hand in my my fake-ass X-Fan club card here, because yes, of course... Of course that Domino wasn't Domino back in X-Force number 1 through 9 or so back in the in 1990, 1991. That was actually copycat. We didn't get the first appearance of the real Domino until I think it was like X-Force 9 or 10. So yeah, my bad everybody. That's, uh, that's on me. It's also on um, Ed Brisson who wrote the Extermination miniseries because in that one he had Boom Boom comment on the baths that Domino and Cable would take together. So... Maybe there were just a whole lot of baths that were off-panel. That might be enough to get us a no-prize and to get me off the hook for, for making that mistake. Anyway, Damien wraps up with, Until Marvel starts shipping their comics with a box of dumplings, make mine X-lapsed. And now I'm wondering exactly what Gyoza are. I'm going to have to uh, look into that and see if, uh, see if I can try one of those. Uh, I'll, I'll let you all know. I'm sure you're all on uh, the edges of your uh, respective seats to know if I uh, dig Gyoza. But thank you so much for writing in, Damien. It really, really means a lot. Next up, Evan talking about one of our trips off the beaten X path here, Modoc Head Games number three. He says, glad you included this one. I probably would have gotten around to it eventually, if for no other reason than the novelty of Modoc's TV voice co-writing his adventures. But Gwenpool is always a draw for me. She tangled with Modoc back in the early days of her series. And yeah, I've actually uh, got a few of those issues. Um, the first... Three or four, I think, and uh, her uh, her entanglements with uh, Modoc were pretty fun. I mean, that's Gwenpool's just a fun book. Uh, it's a book that I, you know, by all rights should hate. <laughs> when I when I found out that Gwenpool was a thing, I was just I rolled my eyes and it's like, oh come on. But then again, I also thought she was a uh, she was a mixture of Gwen Stacy and Deadpool, which uh, she's not. She's not. I think that was a uh, intended as the fake out, and of course. She was introduced as, you know, a Gwen cover variant. But, uh, yeah, it's a very, very fun series. I, one I'd recommend, and I'm pretty sure at this point they've got a most or all beyond Marvel Unlimited. So if you want uh, if you want a giggle, if you want a fun story, check out uh, check out Gwenpool. And uh, also Gwenpool uh, Strikes Back, which we did a whole episode on here on the show. Evan continues, X-Factor would have been a nice place to see her turn up. But, since we know that title's days are numbered, I think a great landing spot for her might be the Hellions. Now, aside from the possibilities opened up by Zeb Wells writing the character, it makes sense that Gwen might be viewed as a problem mutant. And I think there could be a connection between her, Sinister, and... Franklin Richards. Hmm. Franklin's unmutanting happened around the same time, give or take, as Gwen's mutant-defying. 
and I think Franklin might be somewhat responsible for Sinister's sassiness. The first time I remember him acting that way was in Hickman's Secret Wars, and who put the Marvel Universe back together after that? Franklin. So maybe Franklin picked a more interesting, to him, version of Sinister, and maybe even one that seemed a little less dangerous. Or maybe it was a filing error. But suppose Sinister figured out that he came back different, and figured out Franklin was responsible. And maybe he figured out a way to dampen Franklin's powers, or take advantage of the situation and graft those powers, he's gotta have DNA, right, onto Gwen Poole. So now Franklin is isolated from Krakoa, Maybe Sinister sent that message, not Professor X. And Sinister pulls some strings to get an impressionable young reality warper on his team of square pegs. Probably not, but maybe. Evan, 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 every time you give us a theory, uh, it kills me a little bit because it's exactly what I'd like to see happen. I I, I would love to see some form of this play out. Um, will it? I don't know. Uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot, even when we did the uh, the Fantastic Four issue uh, back in the day, one of the things that stuck with me was how casual uh, Professor X sounded when he was, you know, communicating with Franklin there. I think he said, like, till or won't or something. It just didn't sound very Xavier-ish. It sounded a little bit out of tone for him, which I think, I mean, we could look at that a couple different ways, right? It's either Dan Slott not being able to write the character, <laughs> or... A hint that what we see might not be exactly what we think we see. So for all we know, that was done, you know, on purpose. Like Xavier's casual tone there was uh, something we were supposed to pick up on. And think, huh, this doesn't seem quite right. And the fact that, I mean, they kind of just dropped it after that. We haven't seen this addressed in any of the X-Books. Xavier hasn't mentioned it at all. Um, it, it could stand to reason that this is something that will come back around. Maybe we'll find out that Franklin is a mutant, but whoever sent that message was just trying to uh, make him think he wasn't. I think uh, it could be a fun story. I don't know if I have the faith in uh, editorial to pull it off, but uh, fingers crossed, because I, I hate the fact that Franklin's not a mutant anymore. It's not like we ever had him on the team, but uh, I always like that possibility. And as a, uh, you know, as a sucker for the 12 storyline that we never really got, I, always, I was always intrigued by uh, Franklin's mutantum status. So it'd be nice to see. And, uh, I mean, anything with Gwenpool is uh, something that I'm going to want to check out here. I'm actually quite surprised that, uh, I mean, she is in the mutant offices now, and we just don't see her ever. It feels like a, it feels like a weird omission. If, I, I figure that any creative team that had her within grasp would, uh, would try to utilize her just... I mean, even just as a background character in a book, just as a, a fun aside, and we just aren't seeing that. Uh, I think she's only shown up two times since uh, since Gwenpool Strikes Back. We saw her in the lead-up to that Fortnite thing, and then we saw her on one page in the X of Swords' destruction. So, yeah, it seems like they might be leaving something on the table with her. Maybe maybe one of these days someone will come and, uh, and rescue her from uh, Krakoan Limbo. And if it's Zeb Wells, I mean, that's, uh, that'd be great. If it's Leia Williams again, that'd be great as well. I suppose time will tell, and maybe maybe they'll reveal that she's not actually a mutant. Is, uh, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? But uh, thank you so much for writing in about that one, Evan. Uh, Modoc was a fun issue that I, uh, I didn't expect much out of, but uh, had a really, really good time with it. I loved the, the intro bit in Krakoa with, uh, with the signs and stuff and seeing skids. It felt to me like 
the writers involved here, uh, Oswalt and um, I can't remember the other writer's name off the top of my head, but felt to me like they got Krakoa in a way that a lot of the you know main Marvel books don't. You know, it's just that place where the mutants live, where here it looks like they actually did a little bit of homework and had some fun with what they learned. So really fun stuff. If you haven't read the Modoc thing, I believe it's done now. It was a four-issue miniseries, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm pretty sure all four issues are on Marvel Unlimited already, and uh, there's bound to be a trade collection. I think we talked about it in one of the solicit uh, you know, news bits that we do on the show uh, once a month. It's one that I would really like to get into myself, just to uh, read the whole thing and uh, see where I fall on it. But, uh, you know, haven't figured out how to make those extra hours of the day show up. So maybe one of these days, maybe when I'm uh, retired, I'll take a look at uh, Modoc Head Games, and I would recommend you all do the same. But that'll do it for the mailbag, and it'll do it for this episode. If you'd like to join in on the fun and uh, be part of the mailbag, I would love for you to write in. I'm a very, very lonely individual, so it would mean a lot to me if you would. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Ace Comics. Uh, find me on Instagram at 90sXmen. You can shoot me an email at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed hotline at 623-396-JERK. You can join us on Facebook, 90sXmen is the group, and for all your archive listening needs, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Available on all the pod aggregation sites and devices and applications that you know and love. And while you're there, if you enjoy what you hear, or at least appreciate the effort that goes into it each and every day, I would love for you to uh, tell a friend or two, spread the word, share the show, do whatever you can to, to help more people discover this thing. It would really, really mean a lot. Speaking of which, it means so much to me that you'd hang out today to discuss this wonderful, wonderful Way of X book. So thank you all so, so much. For allowing me to be part of your day. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.